Well, it's feral girl summer. <laughs> and you feel feral? I think we just went for a wild swim at six in the morning. I don't think that was particularly feral. I feel pretty old people. Gentle, yeah. <laughs> it's the hottest day of the year today. 30, highs of 34? Five, I think. 35? Maybe. It's currently 8.09 and Elle and I... I woke up at L at 6.15 this morning to see if she wanted to come for a swim with me at the ponds. Can I just say that it's very bold <laughs> to knock on someone's door at 6.15? I didn't knock. Yeah, you didn't even knock. I thought knocking would be even more She just rude. walked into my room at 6.15. I'm in deep slumber. Startle awake. Who's this person in my room? <laughs> my aim was to open it gently and just have a look at all, what you were doing. <laughs> I woke up instantly. I'm very light sleeper. There wasn't a hair's breadth between you opening the so door. That's, I, I, I actually concluded that you were already a bit awake. I wasn't. No, you weren't. I, just, <laughs> I, I think we're going to feel very smug today about the fact that we managed to get some cold in. Yeah. And we thought it was topical because Feral Girl Summer is all about hotness and heat. Today's going to be fucking sweaty. By the time we're recording this later today, yeah. we're going to be recording Let's it in our do pants. It. Anyway, I think that's basically it. Yeah. We'll see you. Speak to you later. Speak to you later. Bye. We're back from the ponds and you're listening to Life of Bi. A slippery history of bisexuality. And um, today... I'm Mary Higgins. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm still Elle Potter. (laughs) And today, uh, as we mentioned earlier, it is very hot. Super hot. Uh, Someone say too darn hot. (laughs) And this episode is themed Feral Girl Summer. Now, a couple of disclaimers first. We were talking about whether Feral Girl Summer, uh, previously known as Hot Girl Summer, but has now graduated to a new... Level. Gratuitous level. Yeah. Um, we think that Feral Girl Summer is a gender-neutral term. Just going to put it out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone can be a feral girl. Anyone can identify as a feral girl. So all welcome to share in Feral the- Boy Summer doesn't quite have the same manic energy to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that sounds scary. Yeah. <laughs> what, feral, fact, boy. feral Boy Summer sounds like something I actively want to avoid. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like um, who, hoodlums. What? Hoodlums. 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 When we started talking about this episode, I went down a fairly literal route. Well, do we need to define what Feral Girl Summer means? Oh, yeah. So obviously, like, yeah, it's based on Hot Girl Summer, which is the idea that last year because of lockdown everyone was going to emerge as these like beautiful oh no hot, point girl, information. Summer, hot girl summer predates that the megan the stallion song is a 2019 song ah. pre-pandemic but it did gain further traction because everyone was like coming out of their cocoons it's right like, i'm gonna shag people i see i see so it, it gained more traction in 2020 because mm. of the 
Right. So then this year is meant to be Feral Girl Summer because it's also wound up. And actually lots of, apparently lots of single um, women reported that they did not really have a hot girl summer last year because people were still, it was still quite unclear and people were still afraid of dating. And also they were dealing with the sort of trauma of having been in lockdown. (laughs) Which is totally fair. Yeah. Also, it does put like a certain pressure on being, well, this is what we're going to come to. Mm -mm. What does Feral Girl Summer imply to you, Elle? What do you picture? What sort of person do you picture if I say Feral Girl Summer? I think the person I'm picturing isn't wearing a lot of clothing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like a werewolf. I'm picturing like someone who's emerged. Yeah. I'm kind of seeing a mix between a werewolf and someone who's been like attacked by a werewolf. So like the lack of clothing is, is like part ripped off. Okay. You're you're emerging from the bushes having so just like, shagged in one. Right. It's like caveman chic. Yeah. With like messy hair. Mm-hmm. Probably screaming. Yeah. And running down the street. Yeah. In to a, in jump on way. to another person. <laughs> yeah. To fuck them. Yeah. Like that um, stupid. Lynx advert. Look, the Lynx advert, but also the, um, oh my God, the extra gum advert that came out for lockdown, which was like. In this just in, we are back. We can see people again. How about that? I can't believe it. News is on the way. We'll learn more in just a moment. I can't believe it. Yeah. We're back out. You can do whatever you want. And, well, we and me and Mary, um, we were also thinking about the fact that uh, anecdotally, we definitely feel hornier in summer. Yo, yeah. Yo, yeah. <laughs> Yo, 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 yeah, yo, yeah. <clears throat> I looked uh, up some uh, some stuff about whether whether scientifically there's a reason that people feel hornier when it's hot outside. Um, and I came across this sexologist called Dr. Jess O'Reilly, and um, she said that when we when we are socially isolated, we do think of ourselves as colder, like temperature wise. And that correlates into the summer months when we're spending more time with people. We're spending more time outside. We have more serotonin. It boosts our libido. And we're also more likely to bear skin. So we're like, mm, checking people out more. I always find that theory so funny. What, which, what aspect of it? Uh, what, do you actually think that the quantity of skin that you can see on a person affects how much you're attracted to them? I think that scientifically that is what's happening. Yeah. Wow. When someone is like closer to being naked. Yeah, what am I talking about? Obviously that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, thing. I just I just am like I just fancy people in t shirts so much. <laughs> <laughs> that the bar is so low. <laughs> no. You're like walking down the street on any given day being like, no. Oh my god. <laughs> No, so I just think t-shirt. I think there's something incredible. But this is talking about skin again. I think there's something amazing about like a very thin, well-worn T-shirt. Thin on a body that you're, as in, it's thin because it's been worn. So, so you're much. Think, you're still thinking about what's underneath. Yeah, yeah. This is why oh, I've well, sort of disproved my own point. I'm not thinking like mesh. Yeah, but do you feel so? It's famously. <laughs> very hot today um <laughs> and we are sitting in a room with all the windows closed do you feel hornier today because it's hot i feel very good in myself today i think i <laughs> great <laughs> <laughs> no no <laughs> yeah all right no 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 also mary's had a haircut guys it looks fucking amazing i've had a haircut and i'm really thrilled with it and i also 
feel very gay with it. Yeah. And I also have been had, you I would say... Really gay as well. And possibly hard a couple of months prior. Mm. And you know, it's like when a cold, when you get over an illness and you don't even really notice it's happening. Yeah. And the last couple of days, I've just felt like mm. my bar for happiness is just like slowly going up and I just keep feeling a lot better. And I just feel like I've emerged. So that is the thrill as well. It's I'm like so I've just recovered from pneumonia or something. Yeah, which Mary has done. <laughs> which I did do, yeah. And there was a good That's feeling. another there. episode. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm feeling good. Do I feel hot in my clothes? Yes, I do, which is weird because I should be PMSing. So I should be hating everything about myself. I'm, I'm there. <laughs> Don't worry. I got us covered. Yin and yang. Because I think for a lot of people, hot girl summer, when I think about like barely clothed thing, people myself being one of them <laughs> i um i think a lot of people will have this relationship uh, that's kind of like fear when summer comes along and you're like you have an identity crisis and realize that none of your clothes fit or none of them look good on you and then also when it's really hot and you're like super tired and a bit lethargic then all the sex drive just like yeah just, um i think climate change heat is not sexy i i actually have some um other statistics on this oh wow okay do you want to hear yeah i definitely do so um so firstly i want to say that uh there was this like massive study done in the u.s over 80 years oh my god of fertility <laughs> and temperature data and there is there's oh, a significant boy. drop in the number of births occurring nine months after a heat wave which makes sense because like you don't like i just said you feel a bit lethargic and like super hot and you don't want anyone to touch you if you're like extremely uh sweaty um but they also did a study about the the quality of semen significantly depletes over 37 degrees celsius um and its ideal temperature is about 20 degrees. So like it's there's, cooked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I can't do this. When you said cooked, I immediately thought of like fish and chips. Like this poor little would be tadpoles like that, kind of crisping up. And <laughs> <laughs> they can't wiggle their way any, anywhere. Um, and so it's going to be like the climate, you know, the climate change question of like, do you want kids? Yeah. Mary's yawning. <laughs> yeah, no, I really care about the climate, actually. The question has always been, do you want kids? But really, the question is going to be, can we have them? Because the heat death of the earth is going to mean that it's going to be too hot for semen to survive. Oh, man. So that's the ugly side of hot girl summer. <laughs> Jesus. Do you think you actually have less sex when it's too hot? Um, yeah, or like a different kind of sex, I oh, guess. Oh, my God. How the hell? I mean, how do we know? I'll tell you what does happen to me because I get loads of prickly heat and heat rashes. Mm. I don't want to fuck when I've got prickly heat. Yeah, fair. Because if some, somebody t touching you like mm. ignites it. So you're like, think, get off me. I think I, that's, I'm sorry that you have to. Uh, prickly heat, by the way, for Mary, it's like a kind of heat rash she gets in um, the sun. It's, she's basically allergic to the sun. Yeah. Which is, you know, we should mention. <laughs> in, this, in this episode yeah um i think that when i have sex on a hot day i just go into different positions that means there's as little like front to front body contact as possible like missionary like close missionary Big no. on a on a hot day Honor. is like awful because you create a little like tent <laughs> between the two bodies and you know but you know you can it's not that you know it's not bad 
Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's the, an image of like um, a single drop of sweat just sort of like going down someone's chest. I think that's very sexy. I think it's funny how much we eroticize sweat in in fantasy mm. but then in real life we often don't like it or want yes. it yeah like i don't like it's, it's like if you think of the um well there that's actually water but the love island yes opening the is all about gleaming. water dripping off or gleaming yeah. muscles but then if actually somebody is very sweaty it often isn't that sexy or attractive do yeah. you know what i mean we were just talking about it we cycled back from uh the ponds uh, from our swim and i'm i'm a i'm an incredible sweater i sweat non-stop um in the depths of winter even and uh that doesn't make me feel sexy no that makes me feel like a freak i'm yeah. somewhere dripping the other thing i think about feral girl summer though is i think it is primarily a concept marketed at single women yeah traditionally mm. if we take away our progressive re- re- like gender read on it uh-huh <clears throat> i think it is about i think it I, I know that some people complain that it puts an extra pressure on to be extra hot and date yeah and it's like an another sort of culture coding of the fact that it's shameful to be on your own for too long mm. do, you know I, do you know what i mean mm. and that your duty in the summer months and particularly after covid is to get out there and meet people and get around and then in the catch 22 of <clears throat> sexist stereotypes obviously if you get around too much then and that's not hot anymore mm. but, but yes, yes. <laughs> so singleness aside Elle and i are definitely not immune <laughs> to hot feral girl summer yeah and we've been so we're gonna obviously we're gonna be thinking about it more this episode from perspective how do you approach feral girl summer or how do you approach extra horniness in summer from within a relationship my relationship is non-monogamous Elle's is not so that's what we're going to be discussing today yeah how to be a feral girl while married The reason we're going to be thinking about open relationships and feral girl summer is because of bisexuality, obviously, because I think there is a, um, wait, what? (laughs) No one told me this is about bisexuality. There's a stereotype, isn't there? That more bi people are poly or non-monogamous. Yeah. Which actually is, um, supported by some data as is so often the case though, only some numbers. Do you know what I mean? Mm hmm. Um, and I would say there are, it's one of those facts, which I think is probably true. Um, but I also think the stereotype might come more from um, un- like popular mainstream un- understandings of bisexuality. That, that most bi people are in open relationships of some sort. Or that bisexuality means that you are a horny fuck. Mm, yeah, it's a big question. Can you be in a bisexual relationship and be like monogamous for the rest of your life? Um, and I believe the answer to that question is yes. I am not so sure about the yes to that question. But I will come that, to that. Yeah. Well, for, I think it's a no for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we'll come to that. 
Esther Perel, though, does talk about the different, like how monogamy, our understanding of monogamy has already changed. Um, in this YouTube video that she's got, this TED talk, she says monogamy used to mean one person for life. Mm. Monogamy now means one person at a time. So I right. think I believe that you could be a bisexual person and do monogamy for life in the modern sense, one person at a time. I think it would be, obviously you'd still be bi, but I think it would be hard to be married to one person for life. I think, I I, I agree that that's true for you, mm-hmm. but I think that that is not true for all bisexuals. Okay. Well, I found some, I've got some stats. Sure, sure, sure. Do we want them? Absolutely. I just think it's important to say if you're a bisexual listening to this and you're in a monogamous relationship that you imagine will last for life, then that is completely valid. Yeah, of course. And I... See you. I respect it. Yeah. Completely respect it. And And I think that that could be true for me, but I don't know yet. Okay, yeah. So we'll see. That was a much more um, diplomatic approach. <laughs> I think I was trying to ruffle some feathers, get into the, uh, the <laughs> get into the disagreement, but that yeah. can come later. Anyway, yeah. so I mean, <laughs> the stats I'm about to give you, I've got to uh, disclaimer the source because they're from Rolling Stone <laughs> magazine. That that well known reputable source of. Scientific research. They're also from 2018, and it's also one single stat. So, (laughs) really take this with like a tablespoon of salt. But, um, it references a paper by Dr. Rhonda Balzarini that was published in the Journal of Sex in 2018. Mm -hmm. And Balzarini compared the demographic backgrounds of 2,428 polyamorous individuals Mm -hmm. and 539 monogamous ones that's a bit imbalanced isn't it (laughs) by asking participants to take an online survey her team found that polyamorous people tend to identify more as bisexual stroke pansexual are more likely to report being divorced and make less money yearly than monogamous couples (laughs) wow (laughs) isn't the less money one funny well and how did that can how did that um compare to monogamous Straight participants were more likely to report being in monogamous relationships. Okay. Half of the bi-pan people reported being polyamorous compared to only 36% of heterosexual individuals. When it came to monogamous relationships, 74% of straight respondents reported being monog compared to only 17% of bi-pan. Well, now that is, is, you know... I mean, that's a single stat from the Rolling Stones and Sex Journal. That's interesting. It's pretty interesting. I think it makes sense from a um, philosophical perspective, but I'm going to get there later. So, okay. Then I googled because I was thinking about this debate, this um, this thing of can you be bi and monogamous. Uh-huh. So I googled like, you know, essentially that bisexual monogamy. Yeah, and I found this well and good article that says 10 tips to explore your bisexuality in a monogamous relationship <laughs> okay and we well, should we will enact the tips i'm just really want to emphasize this title before i move on to list the points <laughs> yeah 10 tips to explore your bisexuality in a monogamous relationship have you got that i've got that step one do we have an issue with that yet no okay step one talk with your partner <laughs> no 
I won't do it. Step two. We've taken a monastic vow of silence in our relationship. (laughs) Step two. Ask yourself how important it is to you to hook up with people of other genders. It's a good question. (laughs) It's a good question. Step three. Open your relationship. <laughs> how many? Wait, how many steps are there in total? Ten. <laughs> Where did you go from there? It was. It was. Too, we were to explore bisexuality in a monogamous relationship, and the third step is open your relationship. <laughs> I think that is fucking funny. That's insane. I burst into That's... laughter and tried to tell you, and then you rightly told me not to tell you yet. Step four is learn more about LGBTQ history, which I think you've got covered. I think we're doing that, yep. Step five is make queer friends. Uh, I hate them. <laughs> no, Step I basically six. exclusively have queer friends. Oh, yeah. Step six, um, this is my wording, masturbate furiously. <laughs> <laughs> How did they put it? Masturbate, masturbate and masturbate some more. Oh, fuck's sake. Mine's better, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I do that. Step seven. Yeah. Queer porn. Well, yeah, hand in hand. <laughs> Not always. <laughs> Not always. Actually, I'm quite into audio porn. Well, that's step eight. Queer, <laughs> queer, non-visual porn. I can't believe oh. they even count as separate. They separate were clearly scraping steps. the barrel here. I mean, if you have to, if you have to list, open your relationship in step three. <laughs> you really aren't addressing the problem. Like that would get you a fail if that was an essay. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Define your terms. Step nine. Journaling. Uh, step 10 chat rooms chat rooms now this i think is fascinating that's interesting it that's exposes like dating apps. so many contradictions in this person's understanding of monogamy or fidelity because mm. like chat rooms in some relationships would be considered cheating yeah obviously it yeah. checks in it says you know check in with your partner but i'm like that it does <laughs> before not, you open your that does not count as monogamy no no even watching porn some is, people it's a subsection of of what's allowed in monogamy in a western really understanding of, mono- of course if you're monogamous Wait. for religious reasons you're not watching porn your monogamy is meant to be like well you're not meant to be do you think but do you think many people observe that properly it's just i get well maybe it's a thing in true like yeah it's a thing yeah um you shouldn't be seeking sexual pleasure of any kind outside of it wow i would say and like really if we're talking about the real the whole spectrum of monogamy to uh anarchic non-monogamy then then yeah and we take into account like like marriages based on religious grounds right down the end of one of the spectrum that way yeah yeah fair fair point fair point anyway um wow that was fascinating so then we get into this idea of like what we define as monogamy sex therapist jesse khan says you don't need to hook up with a bunch of people to explore your sexuality you don't have to have experiences with anyone of any gender in order to confidently declare that you are bisexual or queer or pansexual amen um i i'm going to be completely honest there here and say that I don't feel fully amen about that. And I know I should. Right, okay. But I definitely, there's a bit of me 
my mate calls this um, lizard brain when you're thinking about like your mm. ugly side. Yeah. Where I'm like, no. But that is, I know, not the right opinion. Yeah. I know that's not inclusive. Well, thanks for saying it because... But I definitely have that because I'm like, well, you've talked about like your, well, you maybe don't want to talk about this, but your queer age being younger. Yeah. And that is based on like sexual or romantic experiences, isn't it? That's why you feel younger. Maybe not. Uh, and it's also because I was older when I started. So like my coming out, I was 20. And so I've only, I've had six years of my life where I've been like an out queer person. Mm. But I'm, I've had 20 extra years of not being an out queer person. I'm the same though. Yeah. But I don't feel that. But you were also um, way more sexual like my the beginning of my sexual experiences was only a year before i slept with a woman yeah totally whereas you were sleeping with men for years before yeah me. like yeah. five years so i always really feel, up that yeah so count. i really i felt ex- incredibly like sexually mature yeah yeah in yeah straight situation this makes loads of sense and i still feel like sexually pretty immature especially two and a half years into a relationship with a cis man, I still feel much less mature as a queer person yeah, sexually. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's where like my the age thing, my comes queer, in. yeah, my queer self feels like a teenager. I think that's such a beautiful way of phrasing it as well. <laughs> and I think loads of people listening to this will um, recognize that. Yeah. I think there's a reason we have this idea of the baby gay. Yeah, totally. Um, which is why I think I feel amen to that statement. Yeah, yeah. Because I think it's really important for anyone who's questioning themselves to feel like they're allowed to do that from within, like even within a relationship that is monogamous. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I fully, fully agree with that. I think my... um, I think it's really great and honest of you to have said, though, because I understand why you feel lizard brain you know yeah there's just a bit of me which is like resists it and i think that is from but then i like can i wholeheartedly agree with everything you just said i think it's okay to wholeheartedly agree with like an opinion and no yeah no but i spirit like like i hot like a holy it's not i don't have any lizard brain when you say that great so i think when i i think my lizard brain resistance is about is thinking about it life wise right because i'm like of course, you can say that at any point. But I think I would encourage people to, to explore it, it uh-huh. like in real life or physically, not sure. in real life, yeah. but like have that those experiences. Because I think it's just so, it feels very important to me. Mm. And I'm also like, there are things about your queerness that will, this, it, is, this no, is really... Um, no, I totally... But I'm also like cancelling out asexual people here. It's okay. We can't be. I think it's in, this is a really important and like gritty conversation, and it's okay that we're not currently speaking for asexual people. And I yeah, think yeah, it's yeah. okay also to include this. <laughs> be yeah. like, oh my god, we must. Yeah, but um, but yes, from my own personal perspective, and in my own life. Mm-hmm. I have experienced 
so much personal growth from having sex that I'm like with other people or not even, you know, I'm not talking about sex in the broadest terms. Yes. Yeah. Um, here, but like romantic or sexual or intimate experiences Mm -hmm. that explore your queerness. I mean, they're so life they can be life-changing absolutely i mean weirdly this is going to sound like a non sequitur but this morning (laughs) my sister's um my sister's a phd student and uh, she's giving a talk today about about um the fact that she speaks german fluently (laughs) and i and she didn't know how to conclude the talk and i said well when you're when you learnt german fluently as a second language you had a whole new version of yourself that you could step into because you learnt that language as an adult. Um, so you had a almost a different personality that came with it. The same as your queer this, age, yeah, German and, age. And I think that... <laughs> yeah, I Forever think old. It's important, to expli- um, it's, um, it's important to explore your queerness um, because you might discover a really different part of yourself, a like different part facet of your personality yeah um it might unlock you in in ways like creatively and you know yeah and on that i'm just going to add one more thing then we really will move on Mm -hmm. is that again to nuance further my argument on this is i do think that it is possible to have the broadest most curious queer explorative sexual experiences with a single person like there's nothing actually in the way of exploring all of that with one person so even though we laugh at like that first step of that article which is speaking to your partner i think that regardless of the gender or the sexuality of your partner you can explore queer forms of sex with them yeah of course and like that doesn't have to happen outside of the relationship it can if it's agreed yeah. but yeah the possibilities are endless are fucking endless particularly if you're yeah if you're not um genital centric mm. and you think more about how it feels or you can use other different parts of the body as um the erogenous zones you know hello listener Life of Bi is only made possible by our Patreons. You can support us at patreon.com forward slash life of Bi. We're only asking for the price of a cup of coffee or even a pint for you to pay us for all the work that we do every single month. Researching, writing, editing. We're always thinking about Life of Bi and how to make the next episode great for you. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please consider donating. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash life of bye. Thank you. Bye. So I just, we can't talk about this issue mm-hmm. without mentioning this Esther Perel video. I've maybe watched five times in my <laughs> life. I'm obsessed. I am Mary's obsessed with Esther Perel. With it. I c- can you believe that you're going to be scandalised? I still haven't watched any of her videos. What the fuck? And then Mary's going to drop me from her life. Because you're obsessed with her. I'm obsessed. Know. No, I'm obsessed with relationships. I'm a relationship nerd. Well, we should also mention that Mary wants to be a sex therapist. Yeah, I've just made the first step. I've applied for a foundation course. 
they don't have any places left <laughs> but I'm, I'm on the waiting list guys and I'm very I feel very invigorated and excited because I've always thought I've always said that I would be a sex therapist in another life and I think doing this podcast and, and actually and all the research doing it going into it like when I'm reading this stuff my heart rate goes up <laughs> I get so deeply excited. Yeah. I'm so excited right now. It's lovely. <laughs> it's radiating. And I from can't you. wait to share Esther Perel's words on this. Are you are you gonna I could cry. Oh. I won't. You should. It'll be great for the viewing figures. <laughs> are your you've taken your first step to become Esther Perel. Yeah. 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 My partner thinks I could be Esther Perel. I don't think I sound sexy enough. I think you sound sexy. I'd sound sexy in America, wouldn't I? Yeah, you got to move. I've got to move. <laughs> no, I've don't. I've become international and then maybe people will find my voice sexy. I've, I, a few times when we've been recording this, I've wanted to say, any listeners out there from America, give us a shout. <laughs> or like, are you in a monogamous relationship? Let us know. Yeah, you can see and that. At this point, we should say you can contact us on Instagram. Yes, at Hotter Project. Because that is our sort of stage company name yeah. so it's a bit harder for you guys to find us if that if you've met us on life of bye anyway but over to you mary so this esther perel video it's called rethinking infidelity a talk for anyone who has ever loved and the main bit that i wanted to so the whole speech is about uh monogamy and why we have affairs okay that's the main thing including why do happy people have affairs interesting because sometimes it's about you know a relationship is breaking down um and sometimes it's not and her story highlights for me that when we seek the gaze of another it isn't always our partner that we are turning away from but the person that we have ourselves become and it isn't so much that we're looking for another person as much as we are looking for another self she uses an example of um, this woman called Priya who had, had like a very conservative upbringing and said she'd mm -hmm. always been the good girl and a good mom and a good wife. Mm -hmm. And then one day she just like fell in love with the, the guy that came to cut their tree in the garden. Ugh. And he had tattoos and a mm. truck. It was the opposite of everything. Mm. And um, Esther Perel's theory is that like... At the heart of an affair, you will often find a longing and a yearning for an emotional connection, for novelty, for freedom, for autonomy, for sexual intensity, a wish to recapture lost parts of ourselves, or an attempt to bring back vitality in the face of loss and tragedy. Wow. She also says, death and mortality often live in the shadow of an affair because they raise these questions. Is this it? Is there more? Wow. Am I going on for another 25 years like this? She says that lots of people who have had affairs will um, talk about a recent death of a really? friend or a parent or even the loss of a job or something like that. Some sort mm. of loss that, that sort of brings you up to confront your own mortality. I see. That that can be like the spark. Mm. And it has led me to think that perhaps these questions are the ones that propel people to cross the line and that some affairs are an attempt to beat back deadness 
and an antidote to death. Shit. Beat back deadness. I'm sorry, but she's a fucking incredible writer. Yeah. And you should see the way, like, oh my God, you're going to love her. The I'm way really she does excited. These talks. She has these, like, blue, bright blue eyes and this, like, unrelentingly, some sort of, like, determined expression. Mm. She's being like, I'm not going to let you get away with anything. So, this is the bit of the app where I guess we can get a bit more into, like... Our own personal situations. Yeah, just for like context of how we're both viewing this uh-huh. idea of Feral Girl Summer. I think it's important to name mm-hmm. the elephants in the room. Yes, I am in a monogamous relationship. and yeah. I am not, but I would also preface that with saying that at the moment it is mostly theoretical. And that there has been some actual openness, but not very much. So um, I'm definitely not coming this, at this from like an experienced, like polyamorous perspective uh-huh. at all. And maybe in the future we'll be able to talk to people, bisexual people who are in open relationships. Well, that's definitely on our to do list. So if if you are one and would be up for talking to us, then please do reach out. So um, L, can you paint me a word a word cloud? <laughs> it can also involve sounds. Okay. Non-verbal sounds <laughs> that come to mind when you think of feral girl summer. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, like an experimental theater. <laughs> Any words? Freedom. Mm. Sex. Mm. Travel. Okay. Open. <laughs> Hot. I'm blank. Okay. And what about around the word open now? What's my response? Your word cloud response. My cl- word cloud response to open. Hmm. That's one of my sounds. <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> yeah, my sounds are, hmm, maybe. Future. Mm. Scared. Mm. Jealous. Mm. Intimidated. Separate. Yeah. Hey, that worked really well. <laughs> As a way of talking about really personal things without being at all specific, I would say that is <laughs> Did winner. you just come up with that? Yeah. You should be a therapist. Yeah, a sex therapist that also does famous for the word cloud strategy. <laughs> That's incredible. Can I ask you to do a word cloud? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Mary, what's your open word cloud? Excitement. Freedom. I'm grinning. <laughs> um, queerness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, f- 
fucking it up. Uh, yeah, wild. There's some fear in there. Hope. Possibility. Future. Like, what's the word for like, that's not self-manifestation. But that, like, stepping into me. Wow. Polyamory as well, I would throw in there. Mm. But we're going to come on to that now. Do you have a sound? (laughs) 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 That'll be perfect. (laughs) It was perfect. Great. Wow. Isn't that interesting? All mine were to do with fear. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that makes sense. You know? Yeah. And I think there's loads of shame. I think shame comes in as well. Anyway, we're going to move on to... So I read this book, Polysecure, which was recommended to me by another mate of mine that's in an open relationship. In fact, this book has been making the rounds in our friendship (laughs) group because so many people are opening up. Um, And so it's highly in demand. That's why I said separate, by the way, because a lot of our mates are in open relationships and I feel detached from that. Right. I feel separate from oh, that. Oh, God. Right now. Sorry. My old God was... <laughs> that's so shit because we also feel separate for... You have also felt separate in the past for bisexual reasons. Yeah, exactly. What a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, it's okay. You know, I think it's good to have this conversation. I feel incredibly rocky. I feel, like, really unsure about what I want in my future... And like yesterday, we were talking about the fact that I mentioned that to you and you said uh, that you didn't have to try having an open relationship to know that's what you want. Mm. And I feel like I'm going to have to try versions of relationships to figure out what is my long term thing. Yeah, I don't really I don't my antenna aren't telling me anything about how I want to do the relationships in my life. And so I think I feel, I should be honest with the listener, that I feel a bit like shaky about Mm. this because I feel like kind of jealous of people who are in open relationships. I also feel like scared of the idea of doing that. Well, I think this is a really good time to bring in something I was reading in the queer relationship zine because Uh actually your relationship is possibly more open than you think already. Okay, what do you mean by that then? Because um, lots of people that talk about this talk about two different spectrums for openness or Mm -hmm. monogamy. And there being one spectrum for sex and one spectrum for emotions. Okay. I will circle back to the Polysecure book, which I just mentioned, but I'm actually going to move on right now to another source material, (laughs) which is sent to me by the same friend in the same way of of sending me things about openness. (laughs) Um, This one is The Queer Relationship Zine by Meg John Barker. The bit that I was going to call your attention to was this whole zine, like, deconstructs what we think of as a queer relationship, basically. breaks it down. Think Mm -hmm. about all the different ways that we conceive of queerness. Queerness meaning strange queerness meaning in the in the past um in some way perverted queerness meaning a gay man queerness meaning politically rebellious or politically resistant mm-hmm. to existing structures mm-hmm. 
And then it goes on to talk about different kinds of... So there's like what a queer relationship is or mm-hmm. could be. And that's the way that it brings in openness or these different spectrums of openness. So sure. So it says this wants to challenge either or relationship binaries. Mm-hmm. So instead of the monogamy, non-monogamy binary, we could see our relationships more on a spectrum or a continuum from monogamy to non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people actually see it on two continuums. So the first continuum being emotional closeness. So at the one end the monoamory end, you have one close intimate relationship and you have no close relationships outside this. Mm-hmm. So you might have like, they're the one, they're my best friend by far. Mm-hmm. And then so coming towards the middle, you've got, I'm close friend with all my exes. Ah, which Hello. you are. Coming further towards polyamory, you've got, I stayed up all night talking with a new close person. Right. And all the way up polyamory, I live communally with three of my closest people. Interesting. So this, I think, is involving, obviously, as close mates, but I also think it's, it is it's talking about intimate relationships. So you don't have to be having sex with these people, but people right. that you are physically intimate and emotionally intimate with. Sure. Maybe not physically intimate, just emotionally. So it's, yeah, emotional intimacy. And that, that is a form of openness. I see, I see. So so in this understanding, in this sliding scale, there are some people who their partner is like the only person oh that they God, will yeah, have those conversations how with. How many straight men only talk about yeah. their feelings to their girlfriend and nobody outside of yeah. that knows. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is like so common. Yeah. And that is monoamory and you're not that. I see. At I all. See. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the next one is the sexual one. Uh-huh. So monosex, no sexual or physical contact outside the relationship. So at the furthest monosex side, we've mm-hmm. got we make sure we're never alone with someone of the same gender as our partner. That's what I'm talking Whoa. about, like globally. Yeah, yeah. Okay. great. Yeah, wow, it's Religious, great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Then you've got coming a bit closer, coming a bit to more more towards polysex, a couple of degrees, ten percent the other way. Mm-hmm. Can't be talking like phrase <laughs> that. I really want to try to paint it well. <laughs> Fantasizing is okay. Okay. Then we've got porn is okay. Yeah. Another bit up, cyber sex is okay. Okay. Another bit up, snogging is okay. okay. Snogging is okay is actually quite close to polysex. Sn- wow. And cyber sex comes before snogging. Yeah. In this scale. Okay. Another one up is one night stands are okay. Another okay. one up is it's fine to have sex with anyone. Wow. Yeah. 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 So... I think that's pretty interesting. Uh huh. What's the middle one again? It also talks about openness, like trying to expand our idea of openness beyond talking about non-monogamy. This is lovely. This lovely little speech bubble says, "How open are the windows on your relationship, so people can see and help when things get tough?" Wow. Another kind of openness. How open can you be to vulnerability in this relationship, instead of withdrawing or attacking when it gets hard? Does this relationship open up our possibilities more than it closes them down? So I would say on that term, that our relationship with each other, Uh aside from the fact that we're bi, queers, the other relationships that we have. Right. Partly because it's so intimate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's no... There are very, I would say, almost no details held back between us. Yes, I, yeah. hold, I hold details back 
with basically everybody else. Yeah. But with you, I don't, don't hold any. Yeah. So, so the, although you and Eros don't share that much detail, uh-huh. you are in, you are non-sexual metamors, which is the word they give for, uh, your partner's other partner. I see, I see. Your your partner's other partner is a metamore. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Like your meta love. Metamore. It's not oh, your metamore love, like that. but it's like a love by degree. Yeah, away. yeah, yeah. I see, I see. In the way that we experience all the time in non-sexual contexts, like if you suddenly met your best friend's kid, mm. that's a metamore. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah. That's like a human that you love instantly and deeply because they are already loved instantly and deeply by someone else you love. Yeah. Okay, I'm getting you. I'm and it's the same you. feeling you get when you're introduced to your mate's best mate. Yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. you can discover that they're a cunt and that's really unfortunate. <laughs> but <laughs> sometimes you think, I can't wait to have you in my life because uh-huh, I feel like uh-huh. you already are. Uh-huh. Well, I was thinking when you were talking about the emotional spectrum, do you, like, do you live with three of your emotionally intimate... What, what's the phrasing that they use? Your closest people. Your closest people. And I would say that I do live mm. with my closest people except andrew except andrew yeah, yeah 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 so to open this up further we've got this like continuum now of like openness mm-hmm. emotionally and sexually and then in um jessica fern's book polysecure mm-hmm. she goes even further by defining the different kinds practically of um relationships going uh-huh. from monogamous to non-monogamous so i'm gonna give you these now okay this is like um i feel like i should be paying for this one-on-one session <laughs> 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 there <Okay>. is my <laughs> my bi- bibliography a little bit of background jessica fern mm-hmm. she's a bisexual woman love it who um, has had a back. She has a background in various disciplines, but she came to be a psychotherapist, who then moved into couples therapy. Who then, through her couple therapy, met clients who were talking. She said in one week she had three separate clients who had had the first conversation about polyamory, and she started thinking about her own sexuality and had her her own awakening. Right. And now she focuses more on non-monogamous relationships as like a specialism. Okay, great. She makes a sort of grid. She uses the same thing I was saying about emotional closeness and physical closeness, but she maps different kinds of relationships onto a grid. Uh-huh. At the corner where you are um, emotionally and sexually exclusive, you obviously have monogamy. Northwest. Northwest. We've got um, monogamy. Yeah. Then obviously a bit closer, we've got monogamish, which is defined as mostly sexually, emotionally exclusive, but sometimes. Then you've got polyfidelity. Which is a romantic or sexual relationship, romantic and sexual relationship that involves two or more people, but these people are exclusive with each other. Yeah. Then you've got swinging, primarily a sexual thing. Uh huh. Couple swap partners, but swingers typically sexually play with others while they're in the same room or event. Yeah. And they keep emotional involvement to a minimum to maintain the emotional primacy of their marriage. Right. Yeah. Open marriage slash relationship is the next one. Uh-huh. defined as a relationship where one or both partners in a relationship have sexual or romantic relationships outside of their primary relationship. More focused on sex and 
emotionally hierarchical. Sure. Not allowed to fall in love with other people, but you are allowed to have sex with them. Got you. So I think it's pretty funny already, right? She she has got a really set definition of what an open relationship is. Absolutely. And it's like one of a constellation. Mm-hmm. Whereas the way that we often talk about openness is incredibly broad. Yeah, absolutely. In a sometimes quite an unhelpful way, which I think helps to create this false binary between open and not open. Sure. Um, Because it's like sexuality or anything or gender. We're all uh, we're all floating around. That's so interesting. I have I've never conceived of it as a spectrum properly until now. In the same way that sexuality can be. Mm. Yeah, I think it's because people fear that once the doors are open, the doors are open. Yeah, and you can't shut them. Once you've like once you've broken down the rules that like frankly all of us have grown up with and under. There is this feeling of like, yeah, blowing the doors off, then all hell breaks loose and we get feral. Yeah. When And you forget the fact that you can impose your own rules of course. and hierarchies of course. within that. Yeah. Mm. It's so helpful as well for talking about openness. Like you're not talking, you know, you're not talking, you might not be talking about a massive change. Mm. Like for you, most of the change has been theoretical so far. Yeah. But that's still a huge oh, so it's been step huge for me, to yeah. take. Yeah. So moving on. So everything we've had so far has been either monogamous or moving towards sexual non-monogamy, but being quite strict about not having too many Emotion- emotional connections. Yeah. We're now crossing over to the other side of the grid where we're getting into polyamory. Interesting. The practice of having many loves. Polymany, amory love, yeah. where everyone involved is aware and consenting of partners simultaneously having multiple romantic and sexual relationships. Right. The intention is to be in love with multiple partners. Wow. Yeah. And then it moves on to different the different ways that, that can be structured, even within polyamory. Hierarchical polyamory, where you have a ranking system among your relationships. Some are considered more important than others. Your primary you might have and primary, secondary partners. Secondary or even tertiary partners, exactly. Right. The people in the primary relationship set the rules, and that is why... Um, many polyamory experts actually warn against this kind of polyamory mm. because it's very easily can create asymmetrical balances of power. Yeah. And then you get like if a primary partner vetoes a certain person. Yeah. The tertiary partner has no say in what happens. Yeah. Sounds a, a, it sounds like it could get a bit tyrannical. Yeah. In the worst in the worst cases. The idea of being vetoed is not nice, is it? Yeah. You shouldn't really veto a person on behalf of someone else. Well, what was that? What was I was thinking it's very common to have vetoed people at the outset of people's rules in a Mm. non-monogamous relationship. I think that's a bit different to vetoing someone when they're already... Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I just mean like from within... You're basically breaking someone's heart on behalf of someone else. Yeah, exactly. That's that's totally what I mean. So then there's non-hierarchical. Obviously, it has no ranking system. No one person has extra influence over a person's relationships. You don't have veto power. You don't have more privilege just because they live together or have been together longer. Mm. And each relationship is allowed to grow into what it naturally wants to be. Mm. This, she adds a footnote, which is like these sorts of non-hierarchical polyamorous relationships might still include prioritization when people have children or live together. But the aim is to not allow, is to avoid power differentials. Yeah. And then there's solo polyamory which is an approach to poly that emphasizes personal agency. So it's like an individual who's actually not seeking to be in a relationship, Mm -hmm. 
that follows like normal partner roles their idea of progression is emotional they like can have very deep emotional intimate connections but for them that journey is not sort of going towards things like shared bank account um living right, together yeah, yeah or even doing each other's laundry they don't want those yeah. um traditional partner roles and the last one okay which she argues should be sort of off the chart completely is relationship anarchy super feral girl summer oh my god except the fact that it's um politically progressive and i think the feral girl summer thing is not politically progressive (laughs) but um relationship anarchists seek to dismantle the social hierarchies dictating how sexual and romantic relationships are prioritized over all other forms of love they do not only reserve intimacy or romance for the people they have sex with wow so you might not want to discuss this on the podcast but what do you think you would like your future to most look like? I'm really happy to talk about this. Great. Well, it, within two pages of this book, I had this like little pop in my brain <laughs> <laughs> of like, what's it called? What are they called? The connecty ones? Neurons? No. Yeah, yeah. Your neuron pathways. Neuron pathways. Like just Going. being like... <laughs> yeah. All connecting. Because she was talking about the three main reasons why people get into non-monogamous relationships. Mm-hmm. And she talks about the first one being sex. The second one being like philosophically. Right. Um, thinking about like the history of monogamy and how that stems from uh-huh. a patriarchal oppression of women and not wanting to be part of that. And also rejecting the idea that one person can give you everything. Uh-huh. And then the third one was polyamory as an identity or non-monogamy as an identity so some people relating to it as something that they are not as a choice that they make sure sure and she like separates those two things and the second i read that that was a thing that just felt my brain like there was a little like firework and i was like whoa that's me that it could be just who you are yeah wow that non-monogamy just that being monogamous isn't a non-monogamous is not actually a choice it doesn't feel like a choice yeah interesting. it feels like something i am and monogamy feels hard as a result feels like yeah um stressful and scary and it made me think actually of this time at uni this is so fucking interesting because yeah this this little moment is like seared onto my brain mm. i was like in a state at uni outside the library somewhere talking to my mate over lunch Mm -hmm. because I basically all the sexual romantic feelings I was having in like 16 directions at once Uh that made me feel guilty and bad and like I was some sort of it's the first time I've used it quite a lot since actually this image of myself as a rat (laughs) Mm, your ratty self like a ratty sexual self is like carnivorous and can't get enough Mm -hmm. and has this impulse to like fuck up relationships that are working ostensibly yeah but to always like want it further to always want more yeah or to envisage it all yeah um and there's this like lazy thing about like uh queer people always fancying your mates Mm mm-hmm but that's um, very true of you. Yeah. But it's it's sort of more than fancying as well. Mm. Like it's it's not like a small they're not necessarily small crushes. 
They're like infatuations, yeah, but yeah. quite truth, like very truthful ones. Yeah, yeah. And then that, when I've been in monogamous relationships, has made me feel bad. Yeah, yeah. And you can't help this seeking. Yeah. Well, an almost accidental forming of a c- connections with people. Yeah. I just think that's how... That's how you work. I'm Bill. Yeah. And like, I don't have, I really don't have, I have a really small number of friends in my life that didn't start with some sort of romantic or sexual connection. Mm. Like my, of my close friends, mm. there are very, there are actually remarkably few people. Mm-hmm. Or where that isn't still a sort of dynamic of it now, whether or not they share it. Yeah, but yeah. for me, and I don't think that's as common as, I don't think that's that common. No. Um, and my desire to keep people close, like not really letting exes go if I can. Mm-hmm. You are quite, um, you're quite singular in, in the, uh, in the fact that you have such close relationships with the people you've been with mm. in the past. Um, whereas I would say you're really the only person in my life who I've been with, who I'm still really close to. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm not close with all of them, but I've made efforts in all mm, to mm. have that. Yeah. Because it is what I want. I don't want people to be gone. You don't want them to be left behind. Mm. Yeah. Whereas I think the instinct of lots of people is to cut out that past chapter of yeah. life and, and to move on with it. Um. So in on on those, on that scale, uh-huh. I think what I found alarming, because me and my partner were in quite early early chats about openness Mm -hmm. and I was (laughs) instantly alarmed by the because I was like okay my realization is I want polyamory yeah you want to and I actually don't know how to operate sexually without um that sort of emotional connection Mm, absolutely I think if I I do not seek that in other people I don't seek love and even before i was in a relationship i i i didn't i've I've never fallen in love easily and you seem to sort of do that all the time (laughs) (laughs) um and i was very comfortable just having sexual connections with people and i used to love one night stands and i find it really easy for sex to be completely separate to love in fact i've you know I can count occasions on one hand when I've had sex with people who have actually loved. Wow. Um, so, whereas I think all one night stands, almost all of them, mm. unless there's been a special kind of fizz over it, yeah, have been felt quite dull for me. Right. As in, like, there's a sort of dulling thing feeling that I remember. Mm which is like it becomes a very different kind of activity. Do you know what I mean? I see, I see. And it's not not that exciting. Yeah. For me, it was like we talked about the language thing. A one-night stand or a good one could teach me a side of myself. It could like open a window on a side of myself yeah. I didn't know before. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't have to go through that window and live in the other side of it. Well, you've always been like immensely sexually powerful in those contexts. Thank you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I actually don't know what you mean. What does that mean to you? Um, well, I've known you for a while. Uh-huh. And when you're going through your most um, promiscuous phases, 
the way you conduct yourselves in in those things is like very front footed mm. and really powerful. Like it's it's a really powerful side of you, which in some ways isn't present as much yeah. in the rest of your life. Like, yeah. you're, don't get me wrong, you're an incredibly powerful person, but you're you don't. There's a certain boldness you have in your prom- promis- promiscuous phases mm. of like sexual boldness and confidence, even though often it's sometimes rooted in um, feeling insecure for some reason. We've talked about this before. Yeah, it's like you a might shield. be having like a shaken up period, mm. but there is something like amazingly lion-y mm. that comes out of otherwise a quite gentle person. Yeah. Oh, that's really nice. Thanks for saying that. But I think that that's, yeah, maybe when I'm, when I feel shaky about, um, oh, is monogamy the thing that I want for the rest of my life? Mm -hmm. The thing that stops me saying yes is, is I do miss the version of myself that, yeah, that like goes out and, you know, find someone to shag and maybe has like incredible yeah. very short-term connections yeah with people maybe you'll discover that monogamish is the way for you then maybe maybe you don't need the chaotic cross-wiring of love <laughs> but you might need in the future like well you might desire to have a really firm central pillar mm. with some cheeky city breaks yeah you know, lots of um, Esther Perel says this on in that same video. She says, um, I often say to my clients, if you put one tenth of the energy or boldness or imagination that you put into your affair, into your relationship, you wouldn't have to be here. <laughs> and so I think there's also something to learn from like an, mm. a non-monogamous thinking even, which is this part of yourself that you don't feel like you have access to how can you find it from within the relationship? Mm. Like, what is it that you awaken when you go off to have a one night stand? And how can you awaken that mm. with someone that's there? Yeah. Like that a part of yourself is there all the time, Els. Yeah. You're always a lion. <laughs> well, I feel like we'll probably have another conversation about this as time goes on it might be quite an interesting subject to revisit um (laughs) for however long this podcast continues maybe we'll still be doing it when we're in our 60s wouldn't that be amazing and uh we'll do it you know maybe we'll just do it every five years then we'll have like a five hour long episode every five (laughs) years like catch everyone up i've really enjoyed it though my god how can we wrap it up then well, I think we're doing that right now. I would also say on this note, actually, I've got one final thing to add here. Yeah. Which is that I think it's also really helpful to think of your friendships with the same care as you would of romantic or sexual relationships. And for instance, like I've talked to, I think you and other people about like sometimes Ellen and I just work together all the time. Mm. work together or hang out doing sort of nothing and just like any relationship would it sort of like perishes for a bit (laughs) and we end up being quite like marital Mm. and snappy yeah and then then it's so important to like 
put the same energy in. And sometimes we're putting so much energy into our sexual partners. Mm. We don't put very much energy or thought into each other. Into each other. Yeah. And like, or when we do, it's just work. So that is why I woke you up at 6.15 to come for a swim. Because <laughs> it's so important that we have little those fun things and i've also talked to other people right. about us doing the class together my yeah, weird healthy exercise exercise class yeah being like our equivalent of sex <laughs> which is like a physical thing that you do together which is like really releasing where you see each other as like being physically quite like elated or vulnerable that mm. is just very good and healthy yeah it's like a reset for two people that are so involved yeah I think there's so much to be learned. Because often when you have like an argument with a partner, then sex is like the fallback that you go to and you remember why and how you connect, Mm. even without words. And sometimes I think our relationship is so wordy. Oh my God. Because we're constantly checking in with each other about things. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's nice to just like jump around the garden. Yeah. Like lunatics. So the takeaway for Feral Girl Summer is also to like shower your friends in romance. Mm. That's nice, isn't it? That's a nice way to end. Thanks for tuning in to Life of Bye. We'll be back next month. In the meantime, Life of Bye was made, hosted and edited by us, Mary Higgins and Elle Potter. Music, sound design and production by Tom Foskett Barnes. We would like to shout out our new patrons, but we don't know who you are yet because (laughs) we're pre-recording this. But if you donated, then we love you. You can support us, you the listener, at patreon.com forward slash life of bi and you can follow us at hotter project on instagram but we're not very good at posting we're trying to get better <laughs> love, love you bye. bye i just want to say it ain't over till the bisexual spin